Best part of the week is seeing a new Drugs and Stuff podcast. Um, right, can I just say something, James, with the greatest respect? Really? This is the highlight of your life? That is a good point. You, re- you really need to assess your life choices, my friend. You need to get out more. You do, a little yeah, bit more. <laughs> hey, what's going on, guys? On this episode of Drugs and Stuff, Dave and I are going to tackle your listener questions as we always do. If you have a question for the next episode, then comment below. We'll tackle it then. Uh, plus comments, likes, all that stuff. It helps to boost us in the algorithm. So thank you guys for all the uh, interactions you've been giving us. You've been helping to make this show what it is. This week, we've got a bunch of questions. Uh, there are timestamps below if you want to skip around. Super draw in a test Primo cycle. We've got another guy running Primo high at like 1,200 milligrams, and he's concerned that his estrogen's getting too low. We've got three GH questions back to back. Oh, and a fun one. Uh, what's worse for your health, being a 300-pound bodybuilder or a 300-pound fat slob? His words, not mine. Dealing with crystals in your Violet Test 400. Masteron to, quote, uh, open the receptors for testosterone. We talk about lab work to check how well your growth hormone is working. Oral timing on short ester cycles and a bunch more. Guys, if you are new here, let me encourage you to hit the subscribe button and hit the bell. We have several bodybuilding podcasts coming out each week. Uh, tons of education and entertainment by IFBB pros, coaches, and educators in our industry that are here to help you do better at this sport that we love and try to stay safe in the process. All right, guys, let's get to the program. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by TrueNutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for additional savings. SupplementSource.ca for our Canadians. Get some blowout deals on supplements. And Eval, for those of you in the UK, go to EvalBloodAnalysis.com. You can get your blood work done by Dave. Dave, welcome back to your program. We haven't recorded in a couple weeks. You missed me. I know. I can tell. No, because you decided to skive. To what? Skive. What does skive mean? Skive means that you avoid working. Oh, yeah. We still put a show so, out. Like, you know when you were supposed to go to school and you hid behind the bike sheds and smoke weed all day? That was actually, skiving. Actually, yeah, I do know about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we had a good time in Chicago. It was actually really cool, man. And we stayed in a really nice area, the Magnificent Mile. But we were between the Magnificent Mile by the Gold Coast. And, uh, dude, there was they had so much money there. Like, they, I lit- literally saw a driveway that had, like, this giant turntable on it. So when your car parked on it, it would spin around so you never had to pull out. It just, you know what I'm talking about? Like Batman style, like that big turntable. It was cool. I've seen them advertised. I've never seen one in real life, but I have seen them advertised. I wonder what one of those would cost. You know what? I don't think the actual turntable would be that much. It's probably more the, the actual installation that's where the money is. Yeah. I mean, it would have to hold a lot of weight if you're putting cars on it. Plus, the, the area, like this big stone garage well, thing around depends. it. I mean, if you're putting your car on it, it wouldn't have to hold a lot of weight. No, I could just use a regular turntable for your records for my car. Hey, oh, how was the Born Mouth bodybuilding show? I don't know. Never went to one. 
You know what I'm talking about. I went to the Bournemouth bodybuilding show. That's what I, I said. Went to the Bournemouth one. <laughs> I, I had a Don't picture. Know where that is. By the way, guys, uh, I, I do have to tell you, we are going to tackle all your listener questions that have built up over the last two weeks. You guys are freaking awesome uh, with all the questions you've given us. Um, but I did want to ask Dave about that. I saw this post in our Facebook group. We've got a private Facebook group if you guys ever want to join us over there. And actually, when we record the shows, we stream live to that. Uh, you got some cheesecake here. This is pretty amazing. I did. Shout out to it Katrina. Was very nice. Mm. This is her first bodybuilding show. It was very, show. very nice. She didn't give you any. She got it for me. Yeah, I'm feeling a little, little, uh, little Good. left out. You know. She actually said she didn't like you. Did she, did did you eat that whole thing? No, no, I got <laughs> so it was. There was two slices of the cheesecake, one of which I ate, one of which my daughter ate. Um, oh, nice. And then there was four, I think it was about four pieces of this Rocky Road, but it was like made with Biscoff. Ooh. Oh, it, 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 it was a little bit too sweet, if anything, but it was gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and then there was, I'm not sure what it was, so it was like a cake. Yeah. And there was a slice of this, but it was filled with chocolate spread. Huh. Okay. That were nice. That <clears throat> were nice. I mean, yeah, it was diabetes in a tub. But it was, oh, yes, it was lovely. That sounds amazing. Um, it was very amazing. And I'm so glad you weren't here to experience it. Son of a bitch. I'm going to come <laughs> to the next show, all right? When's the, when's the next one? When's the next big th- event you guys are doing? There isn't one. Come on. If you tell me about it, I'll show up. All right. I'll ask somebody else. Anyway, we got a bunch of questions. Yeah, Let's. I, why? Look, we have a good thing going here. Let's not meet and ruin it. <laughs> Do you think I really would, Dave? I'm not, I'm not going to waste my money uh, to come and see you when I could do something I actually enjoyed. You realize that, right? You do understand that my company is is premium and quality. <laughs> well, well, then I will save it for somebody else that deserves it. You, you're just not deserving of it. That That's the bottom line, young man. All right. We've gone on long enough. We do have a ton of yeah. questions. So if we don't tackle these, our followers, our listeners are going to be very upset at us, Dave. Um, this guy, his name is on, on YouTube. Uh, I shouldn't be debating on the Internet, but... That's his name. Question for the next episode. Um, how should super draw be implemented into a basic test primo cycle? 600, 300 per week. Goal is strength and um, athleticism. Size is cool too. Wouldn't be my choice. Yeah? No, wouldn't be my choice. I would be, I'd be pushing more down T-ball route. Hmm. T-ball, you could sustain, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Superdrawl, it's going gonna, it's gonna to draw dry and water into the muscle. There's no doubt. You're going you're gonna to look quite full on Superdrawl. But I just, if you're talking about performance edges and athleticism, then I, I, I would definitely be looking at a DHT, and particularly T-ball. There is a reason why it was favored by the East Germans so much for the Olympic Games, and that's because it's very good in that scenario. Well, in general, I don't think they had a lot of super draw around yet. 
like to be fair it's been around since the 60s my friend yeah yeah but no i know what you mean exactly um but no i mean i just i do think um i, I would definitely be looking more t-ball than than Superdor. i mean you're going to get a you're going to get a good effect like as a pre-workout from Superdraw, but it's also going to come with a high price tag of liver health and stuff like that. So it's not something you're going to be able to sustain long term. It could be good for the occasional workout. That's the way I would see a super draw, you know, on occasion. Yeah, but. I just don't see it as a performance drug. That's the thing. And if that's his primary performance, I would definitely be looking at a DHT. And out of those, Tebow would be my shout. I mean, it's not a true DHT. It's a test base, but it's a modified version of Tebow. But um, it would be it would be where I'd be looking. Yeah, I could see something like that or Anivar. Yeah, Anivar would be would be another one. I just think T Bowl is going to be a better balance. Fair enough. All right, TTK, one of our longtime guys. Um, he says extremely good episode again. Um, this is for the next episode. I've been. Pushing- Do these people actually watch the show? Yeah, yeah, they they like it. Believe it or not, Dave. Well, the comments don't match the show. I mean, the show's crap. I've been pushing Primo for uh, the first time and doing it quite high. 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams a week. I'm using Belkin Primo. Yeah. So I know that it is legit gear. I take 1,500 milligrams of test along with the Primo and four units of Chinese Gintropin. My blood pressure is perfect and resting heart rate really low. Body feels really good. Um, this prep is this prep, and I'm making progress and losing fat. But my sex drive is low, and pumps uh, are missing in training. I think my estrogen is too low because I'm taking 100 milligrams of D ball for only three days. Then pumps and sex drive improve. I've planned to soon switch to Parabolin but only after blood work. Any thoughts? He also adds, I'm 44 years old, um, but not obsolete, and I'm on my last prep of my career. He's got a lot of I muscle. Would suspect, I would suspect his estrogen levels are low, yes. I, w- I would definitely side with that. Um, yeah. I would probably think of dropping the primo dose down a touch uh, rather than actually doing anything else. Yeah, I mean he's on he's on nearly two and a half gram as it is. Well, he is actually, isn't he? He's a fifteen hundred test. Fifteen hundred tests, a thousand to twelve hundred. Uh, yeah, so primo. he's he's two and a half to three grams. So I would probably just drop the primo down a bit. Yeah, I, I, I mean he, there is the other thing is is his test dose correctly as well. Yeah, he didn't mention running any kind of an AI or anything like that. No, I, I would. I would have thought of what I've seen, though I've not seen too many people with it running it at that height, that 1,200 Prima wouldn't be enough to crash estrogen on 1,500 mega test unless the test was underdosed. Mm, yeah. What's the highest you've ever seen somebody run Primo? About that. About yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. That's like like top end. Mm. I've seen maybe like 
on average, I've seen, I mean, if you think about it, if you get Primo that's dosed <coughs> 100 milligrams per milliliter, you're doing close to two cc's a day, you know? I've, so the, the, the what I've seen someone running very similar Primo with a good six, 800 of mast and mm. about 1.2 of test and their estrogen wasn't crashed. So the fact that his estrogen is crashed on his numbers, and I know everybody's different, but that's that's quite a big disparity. I mean, you've got another 500 mega test in there and you're missing the mass. Yeah. So I, I would potentially suspect that his test might be under. But Bloods will, will reveal it to a degree. Get his blood done and see where he is. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. <coughs> All right. We've got another one here. Um, great show. Oh, he's got three questions. I don't know if we can do all three. That's a, it's a lot. It's a big ask, Dave. It's a big ask. We normally run a one question limit per customer. <laughs> um, okay, HGH. He says uh, any point in running only two units a day, farm grade GH, um, at thirty years old. Uh, benefits of exogenous versus shutting down natural production. If taken in the morning, will it suppress natural night pulse? Yes, it will. Yeah. That's why that's why the EOD was popular, because you would mm. need a full day off to allow recovery from the suppression of the day before. Um, two are you a farmer's going to have an impact. It, it, it's it's going to be in excess of what you're going to produce naturally, even at 30 year old. But you are going to cause shutdown if you run it every day. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll bring the other ones in. He says, uh, how long should you stay fasted after a shot? Uh, for example, 30 minutes fasted cardio in the morning. Is that enough? Or post-workout, yeah. how long should I wait before a shake or meal? Well, the thing is, by the time you've done your 30 minutes, once you've done your shot, got on your cardio, done your cardio, finished your cardio, got to your meal, you're looking more like 45 minutes plus anyway. So, yeah, it's fine. I, I wouldn't have an issue with that. Yeah. Would you? No, I wouldn't. I, I in, in fact, it depends on the goals, you know. If my goal was fat loss, then taking it fasted makes sense to me. If mm -hmm. the goal is to gain muscle, you know, you're you're not gonna you get it being taking it in a fasted state is gonna help you with fat loss. If you take it in a non fasted state, it may blunt some of that effect, but you're still getting the growth the, the the, the muscle growth benefits of it. You know, you're still getting the increased IGF one. It's not going to make it not work. So guys that are in the off season and they're not doing fasted cardio, you know, we'll take it later in the day sometimes, you know, like pre-workout and, and, and not worry about whether we get uh, optimal fat loss benefits from the growth or not. Cause our goal isn't necessarily to lose fat. Yeah, but if you were going to do that, I'd do PM. So if, I, if I'm looking for, for for recovery, I'd do PM. If I'm looking for fat loss, I'd do AM and keep it nice and simple like that. Yeah. And he, he also... Now, you can't overcomplicate over it, but I don't see there being much major benefit to doing so. Yeah. Uh, and, and he also added, um, like, if he's fasted, can he still use protein um, or EAAs? And I would say I would avoid it, honestly, personally. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, you doing all right over there, Dave? I know you had a I'm busy good, day. Why? You had a busy day today. Not really. No, just I'm just disorganized today. That's all. That's Why all. is that? 
Is there anything you you want to talk about? Your your feelings or anything? I had one of them once. <laughs> oh, ooh, here's a fun one. Or it might have been wind, actually. I'm not sure. This is from one of our listeners, one of our good uh, uh, followers, Neven. He's from Canada. And uh, he says, uh, and, and by the way, I want to say on the program, uh, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, we mentioned it in the group. Um, his brother had passed away uh, over the weekend. So <clears throat> Sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot to deal with. So sorry for his loss. His brother was a follower of the show as well. Uh, question for the next episode. In your opinion, is it healthier to be a 300-pound bodybuilder? Or 300-pound fat slob. I've heard the argument that bodybuilding is worse off because of the amount of blood that your heart has to pump into muscle tissue. So the reasoning is absolute fucking bollocks, in my opinion. The um, which is healthier would depend on what has been done to achieve the state of a 300-pound bodybuilder. Or That's a what I was thinking. Fatball. That's what I was thinking. I know 300-pound fat lobs, slobs that are actually quite fit and, yeah. and, and do a lot of cardio. Yeah, yeah. I remember a guy called Big Mike. He would hammer the cross trainer for literally an hour, an hour and a half, but he was a fat fuck. Okay. Um, but he was fit. You know, he was physically active and physically fit. When you say you knew, um, when you knew a guy is... Well, yeah, because I haven't seen him in donkeys. Oh, okay, okay. I'm just checking. Um... Uh, and I know plenty of 300-pounder bodybuilders that are at death's door. Yeah. Um, and, but, I mean, you know, both, it, like I say, as bottom line is, what are you doing to be at that point? You know, 300-pound for 99% of the population is an extremely unhealthy weight, whether it's fat or muscle. Yeah. Um, it's all still strain on the heart. And if you're if you're taking large amounts of chemicals to sustain that weight, well, yeah, that that's not going to be healthy. But in the same way, obviously, living off a diet of lard is not going to be healthy either. So it's it, it's very broad, is that, and very. I mean, there is this age old argument that goes on all the time about you know bodybuilders using steroids. Well, I'm I'm fitter and healthier than the fat slob down the road that lives at McDonald's and smokes and drinks. Well, maybe yeah, maybe you're not. You don't yeah. actually know. Uh, but it doesn't matter what anyone else is. It doesn't matter if he eating burgers and his cholesterol's fucking double digits and he's diabetic. That has no impact on you and your health. So it's only really your health you should be concerned about. You shouldn't be comparative to others because that makes no fucking difference to your health. If you start justifying where you are with your health based on where others are, yeah. Then you you you're really just making excuses because you don't want to face whatever it is that is going on with your own health. Yeah. Yeah. There is no comparative when it comes to health. It is it is solely and individually you and your health that's your concern. I could feel really good about myself if I went up to the McDonald's here in the United States and I was like, oh man, I'm doing a lot better than that guy. But that doesn't mean that I'm doing great, right? Not at all, yeah. You know, uh 
a man, a, a man very close to death is better probably than the guy that's dead, but he's still heading yeah. in the same direction. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's going to be joining him fairly soon. So, yeah, yeah it's, I don't like that argument. I understand why people do it. If you want to be technical, it's cognitive dissonance. You make excuses for your behavior based on the behavior of others, but the behavior of others aren't your concern. They, they, their behavior doesn't affect your health. Only your behavior affects your health. I was thinking the same answer as you, though, you know, that that, a big jacked bodybuilder. What did it take him to get there? You know, Hmm. I mean, some people they can't face that some some people can't face that a lot of pro bodybuilders are good because it's just what their genetics have set them up to be. You know, I truly believe Dusty Henshaw when he talks about the, the cycles he's used, like he's used a lot of like real minimal dosing. But let's look at it. The guy was a professional hockey player. Before he was a bodybuilder, the guy was set up to be an athlete. He already had like muscle. He didn't have to like start taking gear to grow, you know, and he 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 was able to grow off of a lot less than some other guys. I'm not saying his physique was the prettiest. He's got, a, you know, wide waist. He'll be the first to tell you that. But like the amount of sheer muscle he's created, I would have to do a lot more chemically to try to keep up with that, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many factors involved at the end of the day, you know, and and we 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 very often look for justification or excuses. And one of the hardest things that a lot of people involved in the fitness industry that use anabolic struggle with is they sign up to what they believe is a healthy lifestyle, that they're physically active, that their diet is healthy. And so as a result of that, they have a difficult time comprehending that they're doing something that's negative towards their health. Yeah. So they make excuses for it. Um, you know, and they'll be in complete denial until it gets to the point where it fucks them up. And then usually they'll blame it on something else. Yeah. All right. Jake has one. Jake's over at Patreon. He says, um, hey, Scott, I hope Victoria's presentation went well. It did. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. She had a lot of fun. She, she had a really good experience. It was like, a it, it was a, a knockout presentation and she impressed the right people. So, and, and she got some good feedback too. So, good. And, and I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be a piece of her, of her PhD. So it's nice mm-hmm. to see that coming together. We need to get her finished on that. Um, in the next drugs and stuff, could you and Dave discuss Aching testicles when starting a cycle. He start uh, started HCG dosing at 225 IU every other day. Um, and when I introduced the test at 180 milligrams per week dosed, uh, he broke that up every other day. Uh, my nuts ached for almost two weeks. The ache came back when I upped the test to 300 milligrams per week. Does this mean... I'm likely fully shut down despite the HCG. Testicle shrinkage is estimated at about 10 to 15 percent reduction. Um, I'm I'm due to get bloods in two weeks once blood concentrations have stabilized. Um, also on two units of GH in the PM and five milligrams of Anivar two times a day for injury recovery. Yes, you are shut down. No amount of HCG is going to prevent you from being shut down. Yeah. 
the HCG will just help retain some level of Leydig cell integrity, but you're shut down. It's impossible not to be. No matter what you throw at it, you can run CIRMs so that your body still tries to produce FSH and LH. You can run HCG so that your lady cells still get stimulated, but at the end of the day, local inhibins will stop you from producing any reasonable level of testosterone. Hmm. You are shut down. There's no avoiding that. The the HCG in cycle is to try and minimize lady cell damage from testicular atrophy. So he's more likely to bounce back with HCG, but yeah, in, I don't, itself. I don't think that, I don't think there's ever been any clinical data on it. But, but but the basic theory is simple as this: when you starve the Leydig cells of of LH, they atrophy, they shrink, they waste, which is why we see our testicular shrinkage during cycle. And so the theory is that if you take HCG, effectively synthetic LH that the Leydig cells will still get some stimulus, and as a result, they won't fully atrophy. Hmm. They will reduce to some extent because they're not going to be producing full-blown testosterone, but the Leydig cell helps maintain integrity of the Leydig cells, therefore reducing or minimizing the damage that would occur to them if they were fully shut down. Um, not everybody gets testicular shrinkage, you know? Hmm. You notice that? Yeah, there, 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 there will always be, you know, outliers and exceptions and, and things like that. So, you know, some people are much more sensitive than others. You know, there's, there's people that do cycle upon cycle, never do a PCT and do actually recover post-cycle. There's those that do their first cycle and never recover again. It's, the range is huge. So when we talk, or at least when I talk, uh, and I, I would expect you're the same, that when we talk about these sort of subject matters, we're talking about the bulk of the general populace and how it affects most people. But there will always be exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We got a, a crash. I, in- I've never I've never understood this fascination with ball size. Do you remember Dr. Dean said that it didn't matter if your testicles shrunk, that it had no relationship to testosterone production? Can we pass then? I, I really okay. want to skip that. Uh, question for the next time for you and Dave. My testosterone T400 is crystallizing. Is it compromised? Um, but when I heat it up and dissolve, they dissolve. Uh, is it still good to use? And he said, thanks, Scott. Not thanks, Dave and Scott. Just wanted to point Are you out. You answer it then. Okay, fine. I will. Um, yeah, fine. Bollocks to you. I, I am going to request your help, though, okay? Because you you do, Dave. You have some good insight here that I think I could draw from. Is that okay? I'll think about it. If you can submit your request in writing, please, with, with the, the submission fee, that would be appreciated. You know, we've said it before. Uh, it, it, a lot of people have said it on our channel that – you know, pharmacy or pharmaceutical companies, they aren't making T400. You know, you don't see Watson having T400 or T500. And there's a reason for that. Uh, you can only hold so much hormone within one little milliliter of oil. So, um, you know, there's there's too much hormone in this. Uh, there's not in, in order to hold that stuff. A lot of times they're using these these more 
uh, aggressive solvents that can that can be you know bad for our health. You know, if you can get it to dissolve, it's it's kind of good, right? You know, like if you can get it to dissolve again, you're you're kind of good. But you've got too much hormone in there. I, I would think one option would be to add more sterile oil to it, and you could add more solvent. But I would say more sterile oil. Turn it into maybe try get it get a sterile vial, get some sterile oil, turn it into test three hundred, and see if that holds. Heat it, heat it up for, you know, a good 20 minutes and then give it a week. See if it stabilizes. And if it does, then, you know, you might be good to go. Um, but uh, Dave has seen you've seen a lot of testing over the this is where I'm going to draw on you. You've seen a lot of testing over the years. Uh, haven't you found that a lot of times T400 isn't even at, at what they claim it to be? Yeah, I mean, just one second. Um, so I'll just shut up. Don't even start. Um, the, the crashing on the surface of it would indicate that, like you said, that that is correctly dosed and that's why it's struggling to stay in suspension and heating it will put it back into suspension, whether it puts it back into complete suspension or you end up with some larger crystals that you wouldn't normally get will only tell when you shove the fucker in your ass. Yeah. Because if it hurts like fuck, there's a strong chance you've still got some crystalline in there. The other problem as well is that if it's dropping out of suspension so easily, it can potentially drop out of suspension post-injection. Yeah. And you end up being very, very sore uh, post-injection. But in all intents and purposes, if it's heated long enough and sustained for longer, um, uh, hot enough for a long enough period of time, should I say, uh, then it should go back into suspension. Um, the the, I mean, it it does sort of defeat the object that you buy T four hundred and then literally water it down to T three hundred in order to use it. You might as well just buy three hundred in the first place. For sure. Um, and I know that we have this 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 mentality that more is good. You know, I'm I'm definitely a victim of that myself. But when it comes to oils and their suspension, I would probably say that for me, 300 mig would be the limit I would look for. And if I wanted more oil, I'd just inject more fluid. If I wanted more more dosing, should I say, I'd just inject more fluid. Yeah. Because a 2T400 is going to be painful. It's going to be difficult to keep in suspension. A 500, I don't think I've ever seen a genuine 500 in testing. That's not to say they don't exist. It's just I've never personally experienced one. All right. There's a good good comment here. <clears throat> Maybe it's just me, but Chaz looks like a guy that would own a bulldog. I don't, though. But you don't have your dog anymore, you said before the show, huh? That wasn't my dog. I was only babysitting, effectively. I was fostering him. Hmm. Comes to us, we sort them out, we assess them, and then they move on to their forever family. I didn't want to say it, but we're all thinking it. That dog kind of looks like Dave. I didn't say it. Actually, I did. I did say it on the show. Can we bar people? Can we start like a, you know, you're suspended for two weeks sort of thing? But we, we like their lighthearted humor, Dave. We, you know, we, we need our followers. We don't want them to go away. You're not, you're not in a good mood today. I can tell. 
think I'm getting those last nerve guys for real. Just just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> Best part Come on, of I'm with week. the show, amateur. I'm with the show. Best part of the week is seeing a new drugs and stuff podcast. Um, right. Can I just say something, James, with the greatest respect? Really? This is the highlight of your life? That is a good point. You re- you really need to assess your life choices, my friend. You need to get out more. You do a little yeah, bit more. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've been hearing from some other coaches around me is that using low dose masteron helps open more receptors for testosterone. Um, have you guys ever heard of this? The coaches around you are morons. He's from Ireland, so he's not that far from you, Dave. Oh, I'm in Ireland in August. I'm going to Derry to do a seminar. Oh, no kidding. Where's Derry at? Yeah. Uh, top of Northern Ireland, I believe. Okay. So Northern Ireland is technically like related to Britain, right? That's the way Yeah, it's ooh. part of the UK, technically. Okay. Uh, anyway, so um, what was I going to say? Yes. Um, um Master right. Yeah. Um Masteron. So Masteron has a as a THD has a high binding affinity. One of the reasons Masteron has an anti um, estrogen effect is because it binds with aromatase. It also binds with SHBG. So as a result, you will have more three test. But it doesn't change things in the way that he just described. No. So it's absolute bollocks. That's just people not understanding what's going on. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Oh, wow. Dan says uh, on our live feed, about to catch my flight back to the UK from Poland. I'm coming for my pizza, Dave. He's coming to do labs with you'll be, me. You'll be lucky if you can get a fucking flight. Why is that? They're not cancelling them all. Really? Really? Mm, they've they've got real um, staff shortages at the airports for security, so loads and loads and loads of flights have been cancelled. No kidding, huh? I've seen, <coughs> uh, I've heard that happen to a lot of people, unfortunately. Well, start, I was talking to Martin Ford this morning. He was saying he had five flights back to back cancelled. Oh God, what a nightmare! Mm. So he was supposed to be, he was, I don't know where he was. He'd gone somewhere and he was supposed to be coming back and having a quick short three day break. Yeah. And it took him a day and a half, two days to get back. So obviously he never got his break. Oh God. Mike says, Hey Scott. Hey Dave. Love the show. Never miss one question for the next show. If I go for blood work and pin five units of growth hormone a couple hours before, what would my IGF level results have to look like? I am sure that there are a lot of us out there that need this info. It would be nice to know that five IUs is five IUs and not two IUs. Thanks in advance. I don't know. Um, I really, because... IGF-1 and, and HGH testing in the UK is not really done and it's not freely available. It's not. It's difficult to get it. Uh, and you really have to be tested at the lab that's doing the testing. I don't have any data on doses in relating to blood plasma levels. I've got a good idea with gear. Yeah. Because I, I see that all the time. 
but I haven't got a clue when it comes to um, growth, I'm afraid. So, unfortunately, sir, you're probably better positioned to answer this one than me. Okay, what I can tell him is this, that <clears throat> generally people don't test to check their GH. They don't test their IGF levels. Instead, they'll check their actual growth hormone levels. Um, you know, IGF is something that's going to build up over time. So the shots you take today, if you take that 5IU, that's going to be a cumulative effect with the 5IU you take tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And then in a couple of weeks, your IGF levels are going to have elevated and they will maintain that elevation for a couple of weeks uh, until you stop using it. Um, but to check the, the people, what people are doing is they are taking 10 units I believe it's one hour before getting their labs drawn and then they test their growth hormone level. And in fact, a lot of sources are even advertising this, these, these numbers. And they'll say, we had people testing at a 32 or a 50. And, and this has become a means of advertising your product. Now, keep in mind that everybody is going to have a unique response you know and each shot is going to kind of be its own response too so you're not going to be able to actually judge like how good that gh is but you should see something you know you should see something in it and um and if you go online and, and you do a little bit of research on the message boards there's a lot of people talking about this but that's what you'd want to do you'd want to test your growth hormone level uh, and you'd want to do it about an hour after taking 10 iu im so there you go. You guys don't do a lot of growth hormone testing over there, huh? I wasn't sure if Eval did. No, I, I, I stay away from it because it, it's just a nightmare. Um, there's so many variables, timing, everything else. It really should be done at the lab because it deteriorates in transit. Mm. Uh, and it, it's, it's just it's more fucking hassle than it's worth. Uh, and beyond wanting to know whether the gear you're using is good, yeah, I really don't see any benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't see what difference it makes. Uh, um, beyond just being able to tell whether you're using the real deal. Uh, other than that, I just don't see. And I would rather probably go for for um, lab testing on the actual product if I was going to check and see if it was any good. Yeah, yeah. If you can do that, you know, more power to you, right? Mm. Which people do that too, you know. There, and if you go once again to message boards. They'll have people that kind of all pitch in to find out and they'll get a particular brand tested so that they all kind of have an idea. And, and that's not a perfect science either, you know? Well, no, I mean, the, the, the problem is because of the nature of what we're in and how we work is that's only really going to be relevant to what you've tested. It's yeah, not that one vial. That yeah, it's not going <laughs> to tell you that everything else is legit. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously labs, you know, labs are going to submit I mean, there's good labs out there. There's labs out there that do try and do a genuine product and generally want to test their shit to make sure they are selling the real deal and they are selling a genuine product. But there's also labs out there that will send what they know to be a good product for testing and then produce shit for the rest of the fucking year. Yeah, yeah, that is true. It's money, isn't it? It's black market. There's always going to be corruption in it. Yeah, you can't really trust. And, I mean, it, it, it is nice to see, but when a source tells you, like, hey, here's our lab testing on our products... Uh, it's nice to see that, but you're really still taking a leap of faith, you know. Yeah, you are. <laughs> what a drug dealer actually lied? No, never. Yeah, really? Right. right. 
Uh, Zed. He says, um, great show as always. Question for the next show. Orals with short ester injectables on a 12-week cycle. Should the oral be introduced at four weeks when blood serum levels have stabilized or wait a couple weeks more? Uh, orals are anadrol, superdrol. I like it. I've, we've covered this loads of times. I, I like my orals at the back end. Um, one, so when you finish, you, you, you are off. You're not having to deal with any toxicity for the rest of the cycle. And two, I think there's a nice little psychological and chemical boost by putting them in at the point where you'd normally start to stall and get a bit stale. Agreed. Yeah. Patience at the beginning of that cycle, you know. Um, The other gone. I was just going to say there is that window at the beginning of a cycle where you're like, I'm waiting for it to start working. I'm waiting, you know, and people want to do something to like kick it in now. You see, I disagree with that. Completely. You don't think so? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are like, I want Oh, no. No, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I just disagree with that thought process. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know you do. I do too. You know, it's like, why are you waiting for it? Just get your fucking head down and crack on with it. You're not (laughs) fucking waiting for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just get on with it and and start pushing. The sooner you push hard, the sooner you'll get results. Do you notice too, the, the, the more experience you've had, um, the sooner you could notice something working? Well, I, I think the more consistent you are with the training and the more you know you, mm. the sooner you're going to notice a change in you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I generally have always been quite consistent strength-wise. The only time I'd see a real change in my strength is if I was going to be ill, and I'd usually find a couple of days before I, my strength just plummeted, and I mean plummeted it was ridiculous how much it dropped off hmm. um but yeah i mean i for me it would i would i would sort of notice it almost after the incident so it'd be like i've always tried to push hard whether i'm on and off i don't really make much difference but obviously that there is a little bit of a psychological boost when you go on a cycle because you know you're on cycle right right uh, and you're not, you know, that's not going to be unavoidable. You're going to get that anyway. But yeah, I'd probably, it'd actually be, you know, I'd go maybe to the session the following week and go, fucking hell, actually, oh, last week I was stronger. I didn't realize. Yeah. Because I, I, I didn't so so much focus on it. I'm more focused just on the intensity of the workout. But yeah, you, you get to that point where it all starts to click and you're training harder, but you can train harder. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, you're coming off a set, and it might be that you've done that set before, you've done that weight before, you've done those threats before, but you're just that little bit more ready to go, that little bit quicker. Uh, and things like that. There's all sorts of little changes like that that sort of kick in before you realize, fucking hell, you know, I'm, I'm really flying now. Yeah, that's, that's the first thing I would notice. It'd be like I'd look back at a workout I just did, still standing in the gym, and I and I would realize like oh man I was really focused through that like it was a really good workout you know I had a really all my workouts start getting really good back to back to back and I'm more aggressive and I'm ready to go and it's not even necessarily a huge difference in strength yet but that's that first sign it's almost like your endurance and your energy in the gym is better. I've done full cycles where I've had virtually no strength increase. Really, but I've grown. I've, I've grown, but I've, I've heard just people had virtually say no that. strength increase. I've heard people say that sometimes, like, hey, I got bigger, my libido was really high, I didn't feel any stronger. I've never been 
I would say I've never been particularly strong. Uh, I have moved some decent weight in my time, but when you consider the size I was, you still it's a I, lot, dude. I don't. Yeah, but I still don't think that that strength was very reflective of the physical size I was. How many kilos did you squat? Three forty. Three forty. That's six something, seven hundred pounds. Seven. No, that's near eight. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of fucking weight, dude. And that's that's yeah. unassisted. Was that just for a single? No, no, I, I never did singles. So how many reps did you push almost 800 pounds? I think it was five. Six, I don't care five, even four, if they were ugly squats. I don't care. Just being able to do that, you know, even if you didn't break parallel, which, you know, it's like that's fucking ridiculous. It's That's First strong. I, I, don't, I don't care how big <laughs> you are. What? Yeah, but... The, the, the first rep it would never never wouldn't have broken parallel. They were always high the first ones. It was always like a feel Let's it just out. try it out and yeah. see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then you see, you know, it's like I know I mean I used to train with powerlifters when I squatted. So, you know, those guys are pushing three three sixty, three eighty, four hundred kilo squats and, and stuff like that. So I suppose maybe it was just the environment I was in, you know? I mean I just didn't see it as being big weights. Yeah. I mean, it felt heavy, but I didn't see it as being notably strong. You know what I mean? In, in my head, a strong squat was 400 kilo plus. Yeah. You ever hear of N-clomiphene? N-clomiphene citrate. Berry A. Well, I, pres- I presume that's just a version of clomid. Some sort of variation. Thoughts on N-clomiphene citrate? Would it be viable to keep HPTA up? and running obviously he means on on cycle no as as would be the same with clomid so you you will get right so the reason clomid is used and the reason novadex is used in the pct is because it blocks receptors confusing the pituitary and the hypothalamus to think that hormone levels are low so it pushes up hormone signaling that's why both have been used to raise testosterone level in an unassisted athlete or even in, in just normal people as part of a TRT treatment. Novadex is particularly effective at it, actually. Um, but the, the problem is there is so many redundancies in our HPTA that there is still other shutdown processes that will prevent any realistic production of, of hormones. Having said that, Generally speaking, the weak link in our in our HPTA is actually our testes. It's our Leydig cells. That is in eighty percent of people that end up with low hormone problems is because their Leydig cells don't work anymore. It's much less likely that you damage the signaling, but it does happen. But it is much less likely. So. If you wanted to be super, super hypervigilant, covering every um, avenue, then by running SERMs in a cycle, yes, you could maintain some level of FSH and LH output. They wouldn't have any effective impact on hormone levels, but you could potentially maintain the signal output. However, I'm personally of the opinion that the long-term use of those products is probably worse than the risk that you may be one of the few people that ends up with signal problems. Hmm. 
Yeah, let's not forget they're you know, these are powerful medications. They're not, you know. Yeah, and one of, one of the big sides from running serms, particularly double serms like that, long term is is actually your eyesight. Hmm. Because um, selective vision receptor modulators are ant- agonist and antagonist of the estrogen receptor. I, they block it in certain positions and they encourage estrogen activity in other positions. Yeah. They're good in the sense that they encourage estrogen activity in the liver, which means we get much better cholesterol uh, processing. Uh, obviously, we know they block the receptor at the, the breast, which is why it's used as a treatment for gyno. But they also block the receptor in your eyes, and estrogen mm. plays a significant role in healthy eyesight. Yeah. So um, by running those long term, you can damage your eyesight. Do you know the band Hall and Oates? I have heard of them. Yes. James said, "Time for the bodybuilding's version of Hall and Oates." I don't get that reference. I don't either. I don't know that that music. Um. I think what it's basically saying is that I'm good and you're shit. I don't know if that's what he meant. Yeah, I think it is. John Wayne joins us. He says, is it necessary to switch to test P from test E the last few weeks before a show? Will it make a difference? No. I say no. Uh, Yeah. There's people that swear by fast actors, lowering estrogen levels, lowering water retention. I'm not convinced either way. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm running a couple of athletes in to show on long esters. Um, and if anything, they, they stay fuller, better. Hmm. I, they're quite, quite as grainy and hard and dry, but... Not to a point where I'd say it's particularly damaging to their physique or particularly significant. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and also I think it depends on, on where you compete as well. So a fuller look is definitely more popular stateside, where a drier, grainier look is definitely more popular European angles. Hmm. Yeah. I've seen some guys like in Poland that just get absolutely lights out peeled. Like mm-hmm. there's some European dudes, especially like the Eastern European dudes. Uh, they, they like to get nasty, nasty peeled, you know, and, and some Middle Easterners as well. Middle Easterners can go they, both they, ways, though, I think. They like the, They like the drugs as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, this this will sound stereotypical and, and, and people might take offense. But, oh, bollocks, I don't give a shit. Um, a large number of the Eastern Europeans I have worked with are very drug focused. Yeah. I can see that. I, I've kind of gotten that vibe from some of the guys I've talked to, too. All right. How about, um, and I, I don't have an answer to this one. Maybe you do. Um, Cabbage Gang, question for the next podcast. Why does HDL decrease and LDL increase on Anabolic's favorite show on Think Big? I am not particularly sure of the mechanism behind the lowering of HDL. Um, I know estrogen has an impact in this, uh, and one of the reasons um, behind the why DHTs are quite harsh on lipids. 
Um, obviously, orals do this uh, and stuff like ADEX and letrozole are quite harsh on lipids as well. And that's all linked into estrogen management. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure particularly why anabolics themselves lower HDL to the extent testosterone does. One of the reasons LDL is increased is because we are no longer using raw cholesterol for hormone production. Mm, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Because our hormones are based around cholesterol. That's what we use to make cholesterol. That makes sense. Sorry, to make hormones, we use cholesterol, should we say. Love when the British old man is in the show. So have you been doing this podcast with somebody else? <laughs> uh, there are so many more guys. We're not going to be able to tackle them all this week. I'm getting fatigued, Dave, of reading all these questions. I can tell you're you're getting tight. You're getting weary in your old age. We'll have to we'll have to wrap this up. Don't so. no, don't tar me with your lazy <laughs> ass, Bush, just because you can't be fucking asked. <laughs> Uh, we, we for real though, guys. If we didn't get a chance to tackle your questions this week, I did see it a couple in the live feed, so we'll jump there next. Um, this one, okay. Question for the next show from Train Gear. He says, using D ball versus methyl test at a low five milligram daily for a menopausal aged woman in her mid forties who is avid avid lifter as uh, using it as a menopause treatment. Methyl test was prescribed years ago for menopause, uh, but wouldn't D-ball have similar actions with a bit less androgen load? I would be more tempted to just go quite simple testo gel, personally. Yeah. Or even DHEA. Um, I wouldn't be keen on long-term Dynabol use. I've seen test probe used at real low doses. You know, a few milligrams every couple of days, two, three days. I find that if you're using Enthorsip around five milligram a week seems to be the best start point for uh, TRT in a female. For, that would be conservative. Yeah, that would be very conservative. That'd be a good place to start. Um, and I've seen five, six, seven return in, in Enmol. So, uh, but I've seen that return test levels of three, four, and five N mole in a female. So okay. Bear in mind upper limits, upper limits about 1.7. Yeah. So that's quite significant. And even that small elevation over a 12-month period has had a huge impact on their muscle mass. Well, and, and I bet, dude. And a huge influence, too, on, on mood, I'm sure, you know. Well, you've, you, most women actually report to be quite positive off a low level of test. Um, that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. if you're in a position where you're not producing hormones anymore, you're not going to feel really good. So being able to get your test up a little, getting your that'll convert to estrogen, getting your estrogen up, that'll get you feeling better. The other thing you've got to remember as well is that because the upper limit for, for was well, definitely for a female in around the 20 or 30s is about 1.7 uh, in Enmol, that at five, you're three times. So you are you are looking hormonally at the equivalent of a male sitting at 90. Yeah, okay. Which is, is you know, way above a 1,000. Um, so the difference is because the female dosing is, even though it's three times their upper limit, it's still a relatively low dose of tests. 
you don't get the same level of problems associated with that triple upper limit as you would with triple upper limit in a male. Mm. So you're not going to be getting problems with thick blood. You're not going to be getting problems with really low HDL because it's still a significantly lower amount of testosterone, even though it is way above what a female would normally have. Um, obviously, there's virilization potential there. Uh, but again, that, to be honest, from the ones I've seen, that seems to be tolerated really, really well, actually. Yeah. I have given it serious thought as to whether a female running literally five milligram of test a week for a six, eight month period is a viable approach for, for, for a female wanting to gain decent quality muscle mass. Well, I work with a girl who uses test um, and, and she's not, she's not big. She's not a women's physique, anything like that. She competes, but she's a level down, but she only uses like minimal dosing. You know, she'll yeah. use, it'll end up being like, I think it's like six milligrams of probe a couple times a week. Um, I think she's gone as, as readily as, uh, or as often as like three times or every three days, like mm-hmm. six milligrams. Then we've added in EQ on top of that at a really low dose. So, you know, it's, it, we've gotten good results and she's, I mean, everybody's individual though. Right. You know, mm, yeah, true. how she responds is going to be different. Here's a, here's an interesting one. We've got a couple in the live feed. We'll jump to these. Christopher Roy says, question for you guys. If an individual born a male transitioned to a female before hitting male puberty, would you expect them to respond to anabolics like a male would or a female or like a female would? How would you go about starting them on their first cycle? Ooh, so we're talking. Um, that's a weird question, man. I don't. Yeah, it's, it's like uncharted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I can only answer in theory and, and, and with ideas here rather than any sort of factual knowledge on the subject. Yeah, yeah. So if an individual born a male transitioned to a female before hitting male puberty, would you expect them to respond to anabolics like a male or, or, or a female would? I would say more like a male. I would think so. Um, because even though there will be a reduction in the maleness of their development because their puberty was interrupted um, and they didn't get the natural testosterone spike that they would have done, their base structure would still be male yep. initially. It took testosterone, so, you know, in vitro or whatever to yeah. so, create. So their jointal shape and structure, their physical bone skeleton structure. I would even have to think would be androgen different. receptors, you know would be different. The level of androgen receptor capability would be different, even though they may currently not have huge levels of androgen receptors, they would have the genetic potential to create male levels of that. Yeah. yeah. And and as a result, their utilization of anabolics would be much greater. There is a question, though, that I find intriguing around this. What's that? So you... I mean, obviously, we don't know the thought process behind this. So, but so somebody born a male transitions to female pre-puberty. So we're talking 11, 12, 13 years old when they start their hormone therapies. So they, they have a desire to be female or they identify as female at a quite a young age. 
why then would they want to masculinize take a mascu- yeah, masculinizing I'd, drug? I'd wonder that too. And potentially to a degree, and this is quite, and I, 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 I don't know how to say this without it probably sounding insulting, and I don't mean it to be, and I don't want it to be in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But also to, to I, I the thing is as well, I am assuming that they want to develop high levels of muscle mass, which may not be the case, to be honest. Uh, but you're, you're going to take a drug then that's masculinization, and really in stereotypical terms you're you're going to create a physique that's masculinized to some extent as well yeah though i do i do think that perception is training funny we me and Prodrick touched this the last podcast we did together was about where the female physique was going uh, and we were both very much of an opinion him more so than me though in how far that he felt that the female physique or the acceptance of the female physique would be much, much greater and much more tolerable of, of well-muscled females because we are seeing more and more and more of it. Yeah. And social acceptance around that is definitely changing. Uh, and where 20, 30 years ago, the female idea was was soft, curvaceous, voluptuous, and all those sort of terminologies come into play, there is much more an athletic look to the ideal female these days, or, or that definitely moving towards that ideal. Yeah. So, it, you know, I think the what's socially viewed as being the ideal female is changing as well. So that that may very much impact how we view female physiques within chemical usage as well. All right. Jay, hey guys. Uh, question I asked pre-op, but I'm four days post-op on my uh, proximity. So, no, in other words, he didn't answer his question, you slack ass. We didn't record. We didn't record. So, he had a bicep tendon uh, work down here. Um, have been out of the sling since my nerve block wore off. And um, just done range of motion with my elbow and shoulder. As for optimizing recovery time, I'm using GH, BPC 157, and TB 500. Any idea on optimizing health? Oh, also, I'm taking collagen and vitamin C. All good, good movement, good moves. Yeah, I, I there's nothing I would particularly add to that, to be honest. I, the only thing I would, would probably say is a, a word of caution. I've I've seen this happen several times where people have had surgery for a, a detachment or a tear, yeah, and they've they've taken this quite excuse me aggressive supplementation approach to speed up recovery, which is great, and physically they they recover quite well. You know the scarring's minimal, the the, the wounds heal very quickly. but it can almost give a false sense of, of recovery that isn't quite deep enough um so i would just err on the side of caution when it comes to how quickly you start to try and load that bicep yeah i could see that and i would definitely take a slower approach in the re physical rehab work even though the chemical rehab work may may be accelerating the physical recovery as in the tissue recovery i find that that recovery can sometimes not be the strongest in the sense of its integrity so 
Do be patient with your rehab work. Don't rush the weight too quick. I've seen a few people re-rupture surgeries because they've moved too much weight too quick because of the growth and the TB and everything else they're on has given them this false sense that they're more recovered than they are. You do have to be careful too. I thought this is what you're going to say. Uh, increased scarring. Uh, after a surgery with high dosing of growth, you can actually lay down more scar tissue um, causing potential issues with that. So I'd say that, you know, moderate dosing on, on your growth hormone would probably be a, a good move, you know, be conservative versus a lot of times in bodybuilding, we think like, well, we should take 10 units, you know? Well, of course, you know, if one is good, three is fucking better, right? So we, we, yes, yes, how it works. Yes. Okay. we got one more we'll cover here. Uh, question for the show. I know Dave says to take orals with fats um, on an empty stomach, but if you're using 30 minutes before the gym, what would you advise to still uh, have a pre-workout meal in there? Um, does it affect the absorption of the compound? I wouldn't eat that close to training anyway, uh, personally. If you, if, if you can have a hard, intense workout 30 minutes after a meal and not bring it up, then you're definitely a <laughs> better true. man than me. Um, so orals bind with fat. So taking it with a healthy fat, it binds with that. You absorb the healthy fat. You effectively absorb more of the oral. If you take it with a meal, there is the risk that it will bind with non-dietary fats. Those fats aren't absorbed. They're passed through. And as a result, you lose some of the oral um, through your digestive system and you just excrete it as you would the rest of this shite that comes out of your ass. Um, so that's that's effectively what's going on. Um how impacting that is, I have no idea. Uh, yeah. How much difference it will make, I have no idea. Um, I've just always worked on the empty stomach with some fish oils or a healthy fat to make sure it's all going in where I want it to go in as much as I can and, and, and left it at that. Uh, it, it, maybe maybe I'm maybe I am overthinking this. Maybe I am over-sciencing this a little bit. And you know what? It doesn't really matter that much in the real world. Yeah, I, I can tell you, I never had done that specifically, and the orals mm. always worked. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, I think it's back a, and you know, it's not a bad idea to do. You know, I think that if you were to if you were to do that, you you, you who knows, you might get more out of it. It's not going to hurt anything, that's for sure. I mean, I suppose the other thing is uh, a lot would depend on 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 diets as well. I mean, if you've got a relatively clean, healthy diet, then you're not going to have the same sort of issues that you're going to have if you're eating a KFC just before you train. True. Yeah. And who's eating KFC before they train? I know. I know a powerlifter used to do two liters of fucking ice cream before he trained. You're kidding me. No. God. All right. No more questions, Dave. Do you, do you have a good story or anything for us before we go? Pretty boring, really, mate. Um, you got rid of your dog. So we had the Dog's gone to his new home. We we did the show on Saturday. Uh, it seemed to go quite well. Yeah. Um, I got cheesecake, which is obviously very important. That's why it went so uh, well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I must admit I was fucked Sunday. Absolutely fucked Sunday. What do you mean? Just tired. It, I, it'd been a, 
because we uh, I lost Friday for traveling, so I really was pushed for work last week. Oh, um, and and it, it just ended up being like five o'clock starts and nine ten o'clock finishes every fucking day. Is Bournemouth is Bournemouth day- far from you? So if it's a straight drive, you're looking at about five hours. Oh, okay. So it is. Yeah, that's a uh, hike. But we we called in to help somebody out on the way down who desperately needed a bloodlet. So we I think it took us seven, seven and a half hours to get down. Huh. Um and then we um we stopped in the hotel Friday night, obviously got to the show Saturday morning, set everything up, and then it was a bit full on because there were so many prizes to give out and we were trying to organize who was getting what because we just basically pulled everything together and we were just like, like give them that, give them that, give them that. Yeah. Um, I was judging. We had staff on as well for the blood testing and stuff. And it, it was just, yeah, we're a bit of a full on day. And then obviously it's a pull down and, and try and get home. And I think, I think we did do some bad. I think we got home for about nine, 10 o'clock at night. So it wasn't too bad. Okay. But, nice. but sun, Sunday and Monday, I just died. Just, yeah, just felt like ass. I feel like when you do that kind um, of stuff, it catches up with you after. You know what I mean? I I have literally made sure I've got a relatively steady month because I've got the Fit Expo at the end of the month. Oh, um, what's that one? So that's basically the expo attached to Fit Expo. So it's um, it starts Friday evening. Uh, it's at Liverpool Conference Centre. Uh, good venue. It's, yeah. It is a nice venue. Uh, it's a bit pricey. Uh, like there's a hotel attached to it, and it, it we're probably into about two grand in, in hotel fees for all the staff. No, oh, geez, but it's the biggest show we do. Um, so, um, we've sort of gone out a bit with stuff for it, and it's a lot of organizing. And unfortunately, I've been a dickhead and I've booked myself to do a day's NHS training for Suffolk NHS on the Thursday. Which is the day we load up to travel? So what? I know. I've Can you reschedule it? No, not not cat and else chance. Oh god! So what I've, I've had to do is get one of the staff to come over and pick the van up and go to pick up the IV chairs and pick up the carpet for the floor and everything else that we need, and then they're going to load the van. I'll drive back from Suffolk, which is going to be three three and a half hours, and then get home, pick the van up, and then do the journey to Liverpool, which is about another hour and a half. Liverpool, and then we'll. we'll We'll set up on the Friday. But, the the uh, Beatles are from there. They are, mate, yeah. It's 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 a nice place. It's right on the quayside. Um, the quayside. And there's a, the yeah, the dockside. So the, there's ships in all the time. And it, it's, if the weather's good, it's a really nice spot to be in. There's plenty of good restaurants locally. And it, it's, it's just, it's a nice place. But unfortunately, it's a bit on the, the expensive side to stop. Okay, yeah. Um. I, you know, it should be a good show. Uh, it's it's only its second year. It's still growing. It's still learning. Uh, we learned from last year. We're going to try and do a better job this year. Um, but we'll just have to take it one step at a time. I mean, you you don't make money on these things. You know? Yeah. So, so this is the this is the one that Richard wanted to do, like pre pandemic was when he initially set up the expo, right? And then it got pushed back. Well, yeah, there's 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 actually two two main people behind the expo, and then Richard was brought in, um, I suppose, in a way, to be the front man of it to an extent. Um, but uh, I, uh, it's starting to stand a bit more on its own two feet now. That's cool. That's cool. 
Um, so I, I think they're trying to get they're trying to get the brand itself to create its own identity rather than it be linked to anybody or anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it was a good atmosphere last year. It wasn't the busiest. Um, I mean, compared to the Arnolds, it was dead. Okay. But but it was a good atmosphere. There were good people there. And that was tiring. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, Hopefully it'll be a bit busier this year. It's definitely bigger this year. Uh, and they've got some good names. Uh, Stoltman Brothers are going to be there, uh, which has worked really well because obviously he's just won World's Strongest Man again. Okay, nice. Um, and they've got some decent names. Um, Dorian's going to be there. Zach oh, Khan's nice. there. Nice. Sass, Sassan's going to be there. Nice. I like Sass. I'm not sure who else body, bodybuilder-wise will be there, but it should be okay. Uh, the, the difficult thing is that Two bros who manage all the IFBB over here. Yeah. Um, they've banned all their pro athletes from attending any events that aren't IFBB. Which, that's bullshit, man. Or, or aren't two bros. So, unfortunately, out of all my sponsored athletes, I've only got one that could effectively turn up. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> well, it is what it is. I just, I don't bother with it. I just get on with it. You know, it's just a bit of shit. But you just so- you make it work, don't you? At two bros, are they associated with the Arnold then? Yeah. Um, so there was a big public fallout a month or so ago where the Arnolds posted a post slagging off two bros and slagging off its directorship and making Ooh. all these comments about being banned from being a director and this, that, and the other. Yeah. And two pros did a very similar post slagging off the Arnolds and the guy behind the Arnolds and, and all this sort of crap. And then literally, I think, within 48 hours, they'd rescinded all this and said they're working together. And, <laughs> and my, under- my understanding is it was all over ticket money. So oh. they were arguing over who was going to get the ticket money from the bodybuilding show because it's a separate thing. Okay, yeah. Um, and I believe, but there were, I mean, it's like Giant Live did a show there last year and they won't go back this year because of some discrepancy over finances. Oh, no kidding. So now the Arnolds are putting on their own strongman event. Oh, so that's separate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. But I do believe that there's been a long-term standing within the Arnolds that they wanted to do this. And what they want to do is make the international Arnolds qualifiers for a effectively Arnolds final at the uh, Ohio Arnolds. Oh, really? Um, so it would become a rival to World's Strongest Man. Oh, okay. Interesting. So we'll see. I, I, I'm not, end of the day, I'm not really bothered either way. I'll just deal with what I've got to deal with and try and make the best out of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like a good time. Sounds like fun. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work, but it sounds like a good experience too. It sounds like it'll be good overall. Yeah, I just, I go, I do the show, I go back to the hotel room, I go to fucking bed. <laughs> That's pretty much all I do all weekend. That's all you really have time to do when you're part of an expo, you know? Well, there's, I mean, we, we do quite good business in Hallover Cure IVs on the Saturday and Sunday mornings because they're all fucked up from the night before. So, uh, yeah, we, we do quite well with that. I've already had two booked from a guy who's got the stand directly opposite us. No, no kidding. Yeah, Pre so, books. But we've got one, one. So on our stand, there's one, two, three, four five six seven eight staff 
So that's not a small stand then. That's not like just a little eight foot booth. Eight eight meters by six meters, I think we are. And a meter is three feet. So that's big. Three and a half feet, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Huh. Yeah, it's decent size. And when, is, when does this take place again? Oh, fuck. Uh, beginning of July. 1st, 2nd, 3rd of July. All right. So if you guys are in the UK, make sure that you head out to this. You guys, I'm sure they already know about it. You know, this sounds like a big thing. It would be a. It would be quite a road trip from, like, the London area, right? But if you, I mean, you could still make that. It's like four hours, I'm guessing. Yeah, it, it's... See, everything it's, is four hours in the UK, guys. You can get anywhere in four hours. I fucking wish. Um, <laughs> if you're coming up from down south, if you're coming up from London, you're probably better using the train network than you are driving. But, oh, no kidding. Uh, there's plenty of parking around the venue. There's there's plenty of hotels, but I would advise Liverpool is a busy city. It's a popular city. Yeah. So demand for hotels is always high. Yeah. Um, and, uh but yeah, it's you know it's a good setup. Um, and like I said last year, it was it was just a really good atmosphere. It was relaxed. It was enjoyable. You know, we had, we had a bit of a laugh, um, and it it wasn't too wasn't too much. Yeah, you know, you could see people, you could talk to people, and that that was a nice quality about it. Um, I mean, I went to the Arnolds last year, and I just felt like I was in a conveyor belt of people. Yeah, yeah, the Arnold Ohio feels that way. It just gets so jam packed with people. And I think sometimes that's actually negative for the stands because they just can't engage and therefore they can't sell. We did a, a meetup uh, for Bodybuilding Nerds Radio a couple of years back at the Best Bar Ever booth, and we literally shut the aisle down because there were so many people that came over. There were people at the booths around us that were like, hey, you're, can you tell our, your people to move? Because people couldn't get to their booth, which they paid like probably, you know, 10, 20 grand for. I mean, we, yeah, went, we didn't do it for long, you know, but. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's not cheap. Um, I, I mean, the, the, the Fit Expo from a standpoint of view is very reasonable. Yeah. Um, the Arnold's is a lot more expensive. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet. They don't mess around. <coughs> All right. Well, listen, let's get yeah. out of here. Guys, if you're still watching, of course, you know about eval. Go to evalbloodanalysis.com. That is such a weird way to say it, Dave, but I'm, I'm doing it for you because that's how you pronounce it. Uh, and it of is. course, go to our great sponsors, truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK. Go to supplementsource.ca if you're in Canada. And I didn't mention it in the beginning, but thank you to everybody who is supporting our program programming on Patreon. Uh, I appreciate you guys out there. And, uh, you know, leave your questions, all that stuff. We'll uh, get to them on the next show. Dave, as always, it's, it's good to be back. Good to see you. Kind of. Not really. <laughs>